I think we, uh, we ought to do the reading of the Word of God as a group like that and have some of you be thorns and, and birds and uh, the sun. It'd be interesting to see. Um, one of the, the thoughts that we had earlier this week when I was meeting with Trent was, you know, that uh, you, you, can, you can listen, but you don't always really hear. Have you, ever, have you ever experienced that? You can be in a place where something is being said, but it doesn't mean it always sinks in. When I was little, one of the places I feared going to, I dreaded going to, was my Aunt Winnie's home. Uh, Aunt Winnie could have been a military uh, enforcer of rules in any military anywhere in the world and would have been very successful. Uh, She loved rules. She loved uh, putting things in place and making sure that people followed her ways. Now, uh, as I say, I... I didn't look forward to going to Aunt Winnie's home, and when my mom told me that I'm going there along with my siblings, I I was quite anxious in going. One of the reasons I was anxious is that Aunt Winnie cooked a lot of vegetables. She loved cooking vegetables, and today, I gotta be honest, I love vegetables a little bit more than I used to. But as a kid, the kind of vegetables she cooked did not appeal to me whatsoever. And perhaps it had to do with how she cooked the vegetables. I've since come to learn that cooking with butter is always makes everything better. And so vegetables dipped in some butter is good, but Aunt Winnie would have none of that pure vegetables, we couldn't even garnish it with anything. We'd show up at a home and she'd sit us around the table and she'd say, now you start eating and you will not leave this table until everything on your plate is eaten. Those were deathly words to me. You see, I, unlike my older brother, would cry to get out of things. I appealed to your sympathy, to your compassion, which was very lacking uh, in Aunt Winnie. Uh, I, I would immediately start you know, giving reasons why I could not finish this, this meal with the ton of vegetables on the plate. Whereas my older brother, Quentin, would say, right, you know, you wouldn't say it out loud because Aunt Winnie would do something to you, but he would, he would say in his response to her, or his lack of response to her, I'm gonna be here all night. Let's see who breaks first. And I remember Aunt Winnie coming around the table at one point, and and she'd come right up to me, and, and she would grab my ear like this, and she says, do you have ears? Now, it's a simple question. Of course I have ears. They write on my head. I kind of like my ears. It's one of my better features, I thought. But she would hold this ear in her thumb and her finger like that, and she would rub it, and she says, do you have ears? I still still cringe when I hear Aunt Winnie saying that, and I want to run away. And I know what Aunt Winnie meant, right? She could see. She knew I had ears, but the point she was making is that having the capacity to hear doesn't mean you're actually listening to me. (laughs) Having the ability to hear words doesn't mean that those words are affecting you because you're not eating those vegetables. You know the parable that we're going to read and the parable that has been read, I should say, and and the stories of Matthew chapter 13 turns on a key principle. It turns on this principle of invitation to be receptive, invitation to hear. 
And dare I say that as I say this to you, as I speak these words to you, that I'm cognizant of the fact that receptivity is not always assured, that we don't always hear what the Spirit is saying to our hearts. We don't always hear what God is wanting to do. Perhaps there are many reasons for it that the Scripture explores that keeps us from such receptivity. But in order for us to be obedient to the Word of God, today. We must be more than just people with the capacity to hear words. We must be people who are willing to hear as disciples here. People who are willing to allow the word to settle into mind and heart and body and to transform our behavior so that we would live as the people of God producing a harvest that is plentiful. That there would be evidence to our hearing that we have heard well as it is demonstrated in the kinds of things we do with our lives. This morning, our particular parable is precipitated by Jesus teaching people about the kingdom of heaven. The word kingdom or the phrase kingdom of heaven is used interchangeably with kingdom of God. Why? Well, Jewish people would not use the word God flippantly. They would not just use it. And so uh, Matthew, writing to a predominantly uh, Jewish audience, uses the phrase heaven instead of God. However, the kingdom of heaven phrase can be misleading. It can make all of us here think about something one day in the sky when we die. It can remove us from the reality of what Jesus is doing in Matthew when he says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven has broken in. The kingdom of heaven is now through the person of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is teaching in Matthew's opening, uh, you know, chapters of five, six, and seven referred to as the Sermon on Mount about what this kingdom is like. He's expressing the values of this kingdom that oftentimes what seems right in the world is not right in the kingdom. What often seems up in the world is not up in the kingdom. That the least will have the more. That the meek will inherit the earth. That those who mourn will be comforted. And he teaches about this kingdom in ways that surprises those who would listen. You see, one of the things about the kingdom of God is that it it came in an unexpected way. There was this expectation that the kingdom will break in with power and would absorb all evil authority and all evil people and it would create a people of God that would rule and reign. But no, this kingdom breaks in in such a way that the very people who were expecting and waiting for it did not see it for what it was because their expectations were different to the kind of kingdom that Jesus came to bring. This kingdom would come in the most minute kind of way. It would be birthed in simple ways, in, in things, in, in forms that perhaps escapes our imagination or our attention. It didn't show itself or parade itself with a great birth announcement to the whole world. He, he, Jesus entered in, in, in through a couple that, that, that is so ordinary and from such an obscure place that no one really took notice other than those who had a, an idea that something big was happening. This kingdom breaks in in teachings about how that, that, that forgiveness and the way of, of loving people can really change everything. You see, the kingdom of God does not, does not appear with the kind of authority and power that, that men and women seem to gravitate towards. It, it comes in simple forms. And, and in Matthew chapter 13, it comes to us in the form of a farmer sowing seed. 
the farmer broadcast the seed which was common in the early centuries. And I was told today we had an agricultural expert in our small group study this morning, which brought validity to my research. He affirmed that even today still, there are some who will broadcast the seed liberally. They will throw it everywhere. And as this, uh, this farmer sows and broadcasts the seed, we are told that there are, there are seed that falls on hard ground, there's seed that falls on shallow ground, there's seed that falls on thorny ground, but you don't know there's thorns until they grow, and then there's seed that grows, that falls on fertile soil, and that seed grows up and becomes a, a harvest that is plentiful. And I think the text is, is interesting because you can approach it in different ways. You can say to yourself, well, which soil am I? Which I think is an important question. Am I the kind of person who hears but doesn't really allow the seed to, to take hold of my life? I don't really allow the word of God to sink in. Now, of course, when Jesus is telling this parable, my shoelace is untied. Can I tie it because it's bugging me more than you? Can I do that? Talk amongst yourself. Oh, thank you, Gary. I, I got it. Uh, th- so there's this hard ground that doesn't receive the soil. And when Jesus tells this parable, he's, he has in mind people of his day. It's, it's not that he thought about, you know, people gathered in, in Calgary 2015, though it will be relevant and applicable to us. But there were people that he, that he knew when he taught And this brings me great comfort because when I teach, I know that there are people who don't listen to what I'm saying. There were people who didn't listen to Jesus. That encourages every preacher. They, they, they didn't even give the seed a chance. They, 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 they weren't even there. You know, the, 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 the religious leaders or the, or the Pharisees perhaps at times, those who, who, who are not mentioned a lot in the scriptures, but when Jesus preached, they, they, they didn't even show up. There, there are many such people, I guess, that Jesus encountered and knew. There were those whose heart was not even receptive. They were not even in the place to hear. And perhaps you know people like that, and perhaps maybe there is someone like that here today. And, and, and then the parable goes on, and, 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 and Jesus says, and then there are those who receive the seed, and, and they get real excited real quick. They, 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 they sprout up real quick. They, they receive it, and, 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 and it looks like there is reception in their life, and, and they start to bloom, but then when the sun comes up, the elements come up, it scorches whatever growth it is, and it dissipates. And when Jesus interprets this, he says, he says, those are the people who, 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 you know, they start following, but when things get tough, when things get difficult, they stop following. When persecution comes their way, they don't have enough depth to their faith. Jesus hasn't filtered in. The kingdom hasn't taken over control so much that when things get difficult, when things get hard, they decide that's enough. Uh, You know, I only want so much of Jesus, but not all of Jesus. Let Jesus not get down right deep inside my heart and my marrow because he's going to upset things. So a little of Jesus is good. Too much Jesus is bad. Such faith is a shallow faith. It's a faith that is not rooted in what what the gospel teaches us is how the kingdom of God works and takes root. 
it is a story that repeats itself throughout centuries that, that there are those who, who, who clearly have the seed take hold of their life and, and when they go through the hardships and the difficulties and the strains, when things don't work out the way we would like, when we experience disappointments, when life is not fair, there are those who seem to, despite the adversity and perhaps in the adversity, have a faith that grows and reveals itself for what it is, a faith that is deep and a faith that is rich, but there is also many to whom adversity spells the end of an enduring, deep, and lasting faith. This is a very simple message, but a message that I think has to be repeated in the church because I think, as someone pointed out this morning in our prayer group, that there are times in which we are perhaps the hard soil, and there might be times that we are in fact the shallow soil, and and if it's true of you, it's true of me, that there are times in which the message of Jesus Christ, what God wants to do in me, I do not allow it to find its depth within my life, and hence there is no change, there's no lasting change, and there is no fruitfulness. And then the scripture teaches us, Jesus teaches us that there's a third soil and and this soil uh, uh, receives the seed and the seed starts to take into the ground and then it starts to grow. But as it grows, thorns come up alongside it and the thorns squeeze out any life in the seed. And the thorns Jesus interprets in two ways. He says, it's those who are anxious about life, the cares of this life have consumed them. You know, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus talks about how that worry can't add one single day to your life. And I say, Jesus, yeah, but you know, I can't stop worrying. You know, Jesus says, uh, the reason you don't have to worry is because my Father has everything. He's got it all under control. And I say, Jesus, I'd like to see that more often in my life. Are you with me? You know, and when Jesus makes this illustration, I feel implicated. I feel like, man, he's not letting me off the hook. He's saying, listen, cares and anxieties that weigh you down, they prevent what the kingdom is about to happen and get established within you. Are you anxious this morning? Are you concerned about your future this morning? Are you concerned about your family? Are you concerned about your employment? Are you concerned about your health? Are you concerned about things that every human being naturally will be concerned about? Does those things consume your attention? Does those things make you react and respond and invest time and energy and resources in such an unhealthy way that essentially what you're doing is no room for the word of God to give me faith and trust in the God who provides. I'm going to become more and more independent, more self-reliant, more trying to paste my life together. The cares and anxieties of this world will do that to us. And you know, I've yet to find someone that doesn't have something to worry about. I've yet to come across somebody that doesn't have some burden they carry, something that is uncertain in their life. And yet when Jesus teaches about the kingdom, he says, when you live in the kingdom, those those cares, those anxieties, you can literally give to me as an act of worship and as an act of faith. Listen, there are times where I feel anxious. There are times where I feel burdened. And as a pastor, I have to be honest with you, I don't always do what the Bible says I should do. I don't always take those cares and say, I'm going to trust in the one who said what Whatever you're dealing with, Stu, I am more than enough to handle it. Just give it to me. Keep giving it to me. Keep bringing it to me. Are you here this morning and you're carrying something? You have a burden. You have something on your heart that's weighing you down. Here's the invitation from the text. Cast your cares unto him. Cast your cares unto him. It doesn't matter what it is. 
It doesn't matter how significant you feel it is or insignificant it is, and please let me not come across as belittling your cares, but rather the opposite. Take whatever burdens your heart and keeps you from this deepening faith and trust that grows up in you, that which God desires, give it over to the Lord. But not only is it cares in this third soil, but it says they caught up in the deception of wealth. You know, I... I'm very careful when I speak about this because I think the deception of wealth is is that it tells me others are wealthy and I am not. The deception of wealth is, is that it tells me there's always someone who has more, so it's not really about me. I'm not really that rich. You see my neighbor's new car? Did you see the community that 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 they live in? I heard how much they make. I can tell you I'm not wealthy. You see, wealth is deceptive because it never parades itself as being something that has your heart. It, it always comes across as something that is, that is good for you. The deception of wealth is also this. It tricks you into believing that you earned everything you have and that you deserve it. The deception of wealth is, is that it, it fools us into a security that is not really there for things can change in an instant. Life can change in an instant. And when Jesus speaks about this third soil, he is speaking to the church today as he spoke to the church then. He says, do not make wealth the object of your life. You see, the problem in the third soil is competing priorities. It is things that have become more significant than what Jesus is doing and God wants for your life. It is things that are taking the space of the priority of saying, my word, your will be done, not my own. It's those things that are clamoring for our attention in such a way that we devote more of our time to it than we ought to, that we stay up at nights worrying about perhaps, or that we feel we just can't sacrifice or give up or put in its proper perspective for if we lost it we've lost everything Jesus says to Calgary Skyview Community Church of the Nazarene gathered in Simons Valley School today what is and has its hand around your neck that is suffocating you from the life that I'm breathing into you What is keeping you from being receptive? Let them who have ears hear. Let them who have ears hear. This Jesus comes to us as a as a generous sower. Did you did you notice that in the text? He he comes and he just sows everywhere. You know why I like that? Because if I was the one primarily responsible for the sowing, I'd look for the best soil. The problem is, is you often can't tell if there's real dandelions in dirt you buy, like I did a few years ago. My entire lawn back and front, I grow dandelions like nobody else can. You see, the problem is, is that that I can't discern what what is necessarily good soil. And if Jesus left it up to me, I'd be very selective in where I sowed. I'd think some people, they look, they look ready. They, they, look, they look like they need the gospel of Jesus. 
And yet I have experienced in my life that those who seem ready often are not ready to receive it. And those who, who, who look like they're going to reject it are, are so dry and waiting for some, something to happen in their lives. And you see, I, I love Jesus because Jesus shows us a model. He, he shows us that this, this kind of generosity that God bestows on all disciples, hence on all people, is one that says, I, I, I will share it absolutely everywhere. You see, the problem is not in the seed. The problem is in the receptivity. And as children of God, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, we are first called to be receptive. We are called to be a hearing and an understanding people. You know what happens in this parable? It's really interesting. Uh, They hear, but they don't understand. And then they inquire from Jesus, and Jesus explains it to them. You know what I think marks a good disciple? A good disciple is always desiring to understand, is always searching after truth, is always coming to the Lord, asking, seeking, wanting to understand. Don't you find that sometimes when somebody makes Christianity so simple that it's A and B equals C, one and two two equals three, I almost said two, when, when, when people simplify it, they say, you know, just read the Bible and you get it. Oh my goodness, that's not true. You know, uh, uh, the, 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 the Bible is, is a complex book containing several genres. Its formation is, has human prints all over it. There, there are things about the Bible that, that I probably never will truly understand. But I also know this, that the God who gives us this word, who gives us this way, invites us into seeking and offers for us to find. This God invites us to seek after truth, to long to understand. Is there an appetite within your heart as a disciple of Jesus Christ to grow in your understanding? Standing of the kingdom and the ways of God. For what you get on Sunday is not enough. I admit that. There are many times when I preach, and, and, and for those of you who are astute enough, you know, you, you go, well, you didn't preach on that part, and you didn't explain that part. Do you, do you ever feel that way? No, you're just so mesmerized by my oratory skill. And the reason why we have discussion groups, it's not, it's not going to be, listen, I, I'm, a little, I'm jaded enough, right? But still optimistic. I know that not every one of us are going to be a part of a discussion group, and I certainly don't want to beat that drum too much. But I do want to say this. If we can't find some extra time in our week to devote to the Word of God, if we can't make that intention to be with brothers and sisters that, that can pour into our life and sharpen our, our understanding and help us, if we can't do that, something is wrong. Something is not right. If we're not doing that day to day, if we are not finding the time to, to, to hear and let the word come in and work through our lives and, and grow us up, then something is wrong. If we can put priority to this kingdom and what God calls, then something is competing that is pushing that aside. I hate to be blunt, and it's probably not the best, best way to promote a discussion group, but I'm saying it nonetheless. The ship has left the harbor. There it is. This kingdom gets established in the most unlikely way when people like you and me begin to listen and let Jesus have his will and way through our lives. Over the years, I've become, (laughs) this is confession time, but I've become a little disillusioned sometimes with preaching. 
I love it. I've always known that I have a a calling to preach. I I guess I wouldn't say I always knew, but I knew from an early age. I remember the the first time that, um, that I realized I could stand in front of a crowd and on memory alone share what I prepared. I was asked to do an oral presentation in my Afrikaans speech class. Afrikaans is kind of like the Dutch language, except better. And, um, and uh, so it wasn't my, my second language in school. My first language is English. The Afrikaans teacher could not be more passionate about Afrikaans. Have you ever met a teacher like that? In fact, you were nothing unless you spoke Afrikaans. That's how I felt. That's how everybody felt. And when you walked in the class, you had to carry yourself like a person who could speak Afrikaans. You know, he had that high standard. I love teachers who do that, by the way, who inspire you. We'd read Afrikaans poems, and then this one day came where he said, I want you to do a a three-minute presentation in front of the class on this particular subject. I I remember getting up and and standing in front of the class, and I held a paper in front of me that really had nothing on it. I do have notes here, in case you're wondering, I'm still pulling that off. And I started to talk, and I gave my points, and when I was done, you know, there was a stunned kind of reaction to my presentation. Because up until that point, I was kind of the awkward kid in the class. You know, just Stu, his dad's a pastor, stay away from him. <laughs> and it registered that, that perhaps this is a gift. And I think sometimes that's how God, this is just by the way, I think that's how God sometimes works in our lives. You know, he, he, he gives us opportunity to see what we're good at. You know, and I think it's great to live into what you're good at, by the way. And so since then, I, I started to realize this and I preached. But, but over time, you know, you, you preach and you preach and you preach and you preach. And, and, and you, you wonder if, if, if words make a difference. You know, you, you wonder if, if things get through. And, and there's a little bit of confession in that. Sometimes I think way too much of what I do here on a Sunday, you know. Sometimes I think it's about me. How foolish. And you know, when I was studying this text, I said, God, I said, um, I, said I need to believe again that your word can break in. In a culture that is used to hearing things. In a culture that has so many ways of communication. In a culture in which the church culture has so much resources. In a culture where there's so many other voices speaking to your people. In a culture in which we are so often distracted. God, I need to believe again that your word has the power to break in. That the reason I do what I do is not because I come up with great ideas, because I trust in the power of his Holy Spirit through his word in this crazy dance with humanity to actually do something in the hearts and lives of people and, and, and grow us up to reflect the image of God and, and grow us up to, to do the kinds of things that, that speaks to him. I need to believe again that the word of God has that potential in my life. Perhaps you do too. Those of us who've been around this church and this Bible for so many years, the biggest temptation is that it becomes just, again, what we hear on a Sunday, uh, perhaps for some of us. And yet Jesus says, those who hear well, who receive the word well, what comes out of their life is fruitfulness. Where is the fruit? You know, we could probably, I could probably end my career. I'm far away from retirement, by the way, just in case you're wondering. But I could probably end my career here at Skyview if I preached a half-decent sermon every Sunday. Right? And you were fairly happy with that. But you know, the kingdom is so much bigger than our Sunday mornings and my preaching, right? 
This is where you say amen. You know, the kingdom of God is, is something that, that is birthed through Jesus Christ, but it is carried on through faithful disciples who hear well and whose lives are transformed. What does it look like outside of Sunday mornings? What does it look like in your day-to-day life? How is the message changing you? Where is the fruitfulness? Where is the change? Where is the transformation? Where is the power of God's Spirit manifest in your life? This morning as we prayed, and I close with this, I shared with the group last night laying on my bed and uh, still wondering how to say what I thought I needed to say. I, uh, earlier this week, sometimes, as, you know, when I feel rather dry, I, I turn on music. Anybody do that? And I turn on, you know, most times Christian music. I also listen to secular music. Do not judge me for that. But I, I felt a little nostalgic, a little homesick, and then I, I, I researched uh, some African praise and worship songs. Now, it's not like you think, I know what you're thinking when I say African praise and worship. It's perhaps nothing like you've heard before. It's, again, the kind of music that I really believe will be in heaven, and only it. Um, and so I try to find it on my little, uh, I've, got a little uh, I've got an iPhone, and then I put it in the little dock, and it's sketchy these days. It doesn't work most of the time. And, you know, sometimes I pray about simple things. I said, Lord Jesus, just let this thing work. <laughs> and then, you know, in my cerebral process. I'm going, how dumb is that prayer? You know, and then I'm having this conversation and I'm losing what Jesus wants to do, right? So anyway, I, I find myself back and I'm laying there and I'm trying to find a song and then I'm just laying on the bed and, and then I just I felt this, this little bit of sadness come over my heart and I said, I, I search my heart quite often. As you all know, I'm a very, very introspective person. I reflect a lot. Sometimes it's terrible for those around me. I know. But I also come to realize that that's where God speaks most to me. And as I laid on the bed, I said, Lord, where is this, where's that sadness coming from? Where's that that is disturbing my soul in this moment coming from? Why is it that I feel right now that I want to be moved to tears, in fact, was moved to tears, and, and I, felt, I felt the dryness of my own soul being the answer, the cry of my heart to have to have the Holy Spirit and God's Word so fall anew and afresh on your pastor. I, I said, Lord, could it be that the Word again is for me, and perhaps it is for others? Could it be today that you, together with me, say, Father, Holy Spirit, fall anew and afresh on some dry and parched souls? that we would see the Spirit of God work in and through our lives unto one purpose that His kingdom would establish amongst us. I invite you this morning to reflect upon which soil you may be, to ask the questions of what stands in the way of the hope of Jesus Christ and the kingdom growing up in me. And as you do so, to cast those cares, those burdens, those priorities before him. I do believe that God genuinely cares about you and me. That he truly has our best interest at heart. That we can trust him with our greatest treasures. For he is a faithful and loving God. And as our worship team comes, 
I'm going to offer a word of prayer. And uh, well, yeah, we don't have altars uh, this morning. And um, I like having altars because I think it is a great way of responding in obedience. Um, but perhaps even as we sing without altars, you can find a place of prayer. And uh, I'm going to ask the worship team to lead. You don't have to sing along unless you feel you want to. But may this be just an opportunity for us to examine the soil of our hearts and our lives. When is the last time you heard from the Lord? The last time God's word spoke to your heart? When is the last time that it moved you towards taking a particular action or being obedient in a way that perhaps you didn't anticipate? When is the last time your heart sang as you meditated upon his word and found that it was good? When is the last time that you experienced the joy of God's Holy Spirit as you reflected upon what he's saying? If you find yourself this morning saying, it's been a while, you're in a good place, for God is here with us. Father, I thank you for your word that speaks very simply that your kingdom has come through Jesus and that your kingdom, Father, is, is perhaps not the kind of power that the world recognizes, but it is oh so powerful through your people when we hear and allow your word to direct our lives. That your kingdom uh, happens within and through your church. It happens in and through disciples. May your spirit now have freedom as we continue to listen and hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.